Welcome to episode 16 of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League, presented by ChangeUp. I'm Matt Satilli. I am joined, as always, by my co-host and my good friend, Owen Shadrick. Good to see you, my friend. What's going on tonight? Nothing much, Matt. I'm very excited for you all to hear this episode with Josh. I absolutely love this interview, and Josh is such a great guy. We had a crazy weekend at baseball, and I'm excited to recap it all with you. Yeah, this is probably our most anticipated episode of the entire podcast series. Josh got a lot of requests to be on. He was an amazing interview, had a lot of great things to say, and he's just a fantastic guy. So shout out Josh Cummins. And yeah, let's talk some baseball this weekend. Uh, I was in Westfield. I saw Brockton uh, taking on the Starfires as part of their doubleheader. Brockton scored 50 runs in their last four games. They've made the move from fifth up to second, and they're on a five-game winning streak. It was really great seeing them, and their bats have caught fire. So uh, great weekend from the Rocks. Owen, what would you see here? What do you want to talk about? Yeah, so on Friday, I was in Westfield and saw the Nashville Silver Knights come back in the ninth inning and end up beating the Starfires in extra innings thanks to Dominic Keegan and Jared Dupree. And speaking of the Silver Knights, today, Sunday, when we're recording this, Sunday, July 19th, Nashua Silver Knights and the North Shore Navigators played a game in which there were 33 runs, 44 hits, and 17 of the 18 starters had at least one RBI. Nashua ends up pulling it out 18-15. to 15. What an incredible offensive shootout and an, an incredible way to end the weekend. Yeah, it was awesome. That game started at the same time as my three o'clock start. And I was astonished that that game only took three and a half hours, but great game by both sides. Uh, the bats have really kind of started to come alive after you saw the pitchers dominate the first week or so. And just a lot of parody in the standings. I mean, Westfield moved from second to fifth, Brockton from fifth to second in the last two days. There's a lot of teams in the middle of the pack that, you know, if you go on a three-game winning or a three-game losing streak, anything can happen. So competitive. This league is so competitive, and I'm so in for it. I love it. Uh, off day today on Monday, so hope you guys are getting your baseball fix from Back to the Futures and really excited to get back at it Tuesday night. And now let's get into our awesome interview with Director of Media Relations of the Futures League and the North Shore Navigators and Baseball Journal of New England. He does it all. It's Josh Cummins. Here we go. At this time, we now welcome on a very special guest. He is the Director of Media Relations for the Futures Collegiate Baseball League, Director of Media Relations for the North Shore Navigators. He's one of the best in the business, certainly in the Futures League circles. And perhaps more importantly, he is a personal friend of Owen and myself, and he's a fan of the program, is Josh Cummins. Josh, welcome to Back to the Futures. How are you today? Good. Thanks, guys. I'm, I'm happy to be here and uh, glad, to, uh, glad to be with you guys. Hey, we're thrilled to have you. And uh, so today is we're recording on Thursday, July 16th. But tomorrow is a very special day. It's Josh's birthday, everybody. Let's go, Josh's Woo! birthday. Happy birthday, even though this is re releasing on Monday. Happy birthday, and let's get this going. I'm so excited. Thanks, guys. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so Josh, let's get right into it. Um, so describe your role with the Futures League, and how many years have you been covering the league for? Yeah, so I've been going to games kind of around here, a lot of the different teams, minor league, college teams for, for really, as long as I can remember growing up as a kid around here, I'm uh, 50 minutes from the, the Navigators, like you mentioned. So it's been a place that, uh, that I've gone for a long time and just kind of started to get involved when I was in, in high school writing for, uh, for, for a website with high school students and, and the local newspaper. And then it's kind of turned into 
today with with obviously working with the team and the league and uh, New England Baseball Journal as well. So kind of had wearing some different hats that uh, kind of all involved in the same uh, scope here in the, the league. And uh, so, yeah, as far as official timeline, it's kind of hard to say. Uh, but officially with the uh, with the team, I guess this would be the uh, my fourth year, kind of an official team capacity. And you just touched on it. You know, you've been you've been around this league for a while. So, what does this league mean to you and to the fans, players, and baseball fans all across New England? Yeah, it means a lot to me. Obviously, it, it was um, the the Navigators were in the NECBL kind of in the uh, in the start after their professional team that that I to when I was a kid, but but kind of right along with the, the league is kind of the time I've been covering the team. And I think that's probably the, the beginning of, of my official covering the, covering the team at first w- would be kind of right when they, right around the time that they joined the, the league. So it's been so much to me, obviously, just to, to be able to kind of have another league in, in the area to, to cover it and to be part of this league that, uh, like you guys said, is, uh, is a big part of baseball in New England. And there's so many guys who've come through this league and gone on to, um, obviously the other leagues in New England and gone on to the pros. So it's been uh, really fun to kind of follow its growth from, from really the very beginning to, to where it is now, where there's so many talented uh, guys from all over the country coming here. But, but really, uh, of course, focusing on the kids from, from New England, that's obviously a really special thing that uh, I've enjoyed getting to be a part of. So you have essentially more or less the same role with the Navigators and with the league as a whole but you primarily are with the Navs. You are at all the home games and also travel on the road. You write the post-game recaps. So speaking from a journalist perspective where you want to maintain a level of professionalism, but also, you know, you're more specialized with the Navs. What is it like maintaining both of those roles at the same time and also just kind of working for a team on a daily basis and really getting to know the ins and outs of the team and how they operate? Yeah, that's something obviously before – before I became official with the team, that was, um, uh, that was something that I didn't have the opportunity to ever do because it was just, you're kind of on the outside looking at some, uh, looking at the inside, you obviously know kind of the people and the players on the team, but, but it's been really fun to, to get the experience of, of being a part of the team and traveling with them and, and just getting to see kind of all the, the sites just like you guys do, but it's obviously a different, uh, different view kind of from the inside. I don't really find it that, difficult especially with um, some of the other work that I do kind of involves the league as a whole as well so I've been happy to kind of like I said before wear both hats over the course of this season. So this year there's so much competition around the league especially North Shore who is ranked the number six roster in the country by Baseball America. What is it like to have that much competition around the league and would you say that this is the most competitive year that we've had on paper? Yeah absolutely it's been a lot of fun and obviously um, some of these guys like Sal Freelich and, and Morissette and, and some of the others, those are obviously the two big names for, for the draft around New England, two of the big names around New England for the draft next year. But uh, they've both played in the league before. Sal was obviously with the Navigators a couple years ago and, and Cody played in the league for Nashville as well. So uh, a lot of these guys have experience in the league, which I think is, which kind of helped the, the start that they went on at the beginning of the year. And uh, de- definitely a lot of fun around the league. All the rosters really added guys from from the Cape and from the NECBL that has kind of made it, like you said, uh, a lot of fun competition and and something that really the league's never seen before with this many guys who are uh, kind of along the lines of really big pro prospects. So it's been a lot of fun to uh, get to know them from from the beginning and, and now to have them 
uh, back here for kind of a second year that was obviously unexpected due to the uh, circumstances that uh, obviously came before the season. We'll delve into it in more detail in a minute or two, but uh, you've written a number of Futures League previews for New England Baseball Journal, which you work at and you've done extensive work for. You're also very familiar with the league as a whole, as you mentioned. Can you maybe tell us about a player who might be flying under the radar who hasn't had that same attention as a lot of the D1 prospects or players who've been in the league so far that you're looking out for that you think really might be an X factor for his team this year? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, obviously, this year's kind of been different where the, the rosters kind of are maybe more heavy with the Division One players just because of kind of the changes to the rosters and everything like that where um, some of these guys who wouldn't have had an opportunity to play because their Cape League or any CBL was canceled. But obviously those New England kids from smaller schools that, that wouldn't get a chance to play in those leagues are, are, are kind of here as well. I guess one of the guys that came to mind from another team when I was looking at the rosters before the season would be uh, Nate Tellier, who's a pitcher on Brockton. He was um, kind of coming into the season, one of the bigger division three draft guys in the country. And he played in the, the futures league a couple years ago and was in the NECDL last year and played really well over the uh, pitch really well, I should say over the course of his um, uh, couple years in the summers and, and one of the best kind of division three players here in, in New England. So he was one of the guys obviously from the, from the Navigators, Bo Dana, the relief pitcher of the year last year, was uh, kind of another guy who has that uh, high velocity and has been fun to watch over the last couple of years. He's from a Division three school, so those guys are um, obviously on the rosters kind of all over the league, but uh, those are two guys that stood out to me uh, kind of coming back into the league. But, but there's a lot of great guys this year that's been the fun of just the unique year where so many guys have come into this league that kind of weren't expected to because they were supposed to go to other places. Yeah, and obviously we talk about the New England Baseball Journal. What can you tell us about the publication and what your work entails for them, whether it's the teams you cover or some articles that you've written for them? Yeah, so I guess I don't really have a specific area that I cover. I guess the, the area that I cover the most would be just colleges in general. There's not really a kind of a specific segment in that. It's just kind of uh, I do a lot of the stuff kind of, I guess, Division One and Division three would be the two areas that, that I do the most specific work with. But yeah, it's been uh, about 10 years old, the publication and kind of grown from a company that does some magazines and other sports as well. New England Hockey Journal is another one that I work with. And it's kind of the father of the, of the company, I guess you would say the original magazine of the company. And uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun too, just to kind of get to see some of these guys that we're talking about now during the spring and uh, just kind of get to follow their careers from, uh, kind of the beginning right to as far as they go to uh, guys like Chris Shaw and Savali who are in the major leagues now, which has been really fun to watch. You addressed it earlier, and it's clear from your passion about the team. Uh, you've watched games at historic Frazier Field for as long as you can remember, and it turns 80 years old this summer. Uh, what memories did you have as a kid watching games at this field? And, you know, what's it like getting a chance to cover games there and just spend afternoons at the ballpark pretty regularly now? Yeah, it's really fun. It's still, uh, you kind of see some of the same faces um, when we have fans in the ballpark. Obviously, that's been a little bit of a, a bummer this year, of course. But uh, but yeah, getting to see, still kind of see some of the same faces that, that I've seen from when I was growing up following the, the independent pro team that was there. And yeah, it's just been a lot of fun transitioning into the, the press box over the last number of years. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I, I spent, like you said, many 
many afternoons and, and nights there. So uh, uh, it's, been, it's been special to kind of make that transition. So you just touched on it with the no fans, but COVID-19 hitting changed a lot of lives and it probably changed yours a lot too in terms of your job. Can you tell us what adjustments you had to make? Yeah, it's been a different year for sure. Um, between obviously the end of the, the baseball season and call it for the players in, in college was cut short. So um, that kind of took a lot away from us that we would usually be doing as far as following everyone during the spring. And, and the same thing with, with hockey. I know we were touching on that earlier as well. That ended earlier than expected, but, but yeah, it's been, it's been a different year uh, just kind of the, the types of things that the baseball journal has been doing has been different, but kind of as far as the, the futures league, nothing really changed because there was never a point in time that it seemed like the season was going to be canceled. Obviously we knew that there would probably be changes coming down uh, as it got closer. But uh, as far as that, nothing's really had really changed as far as preparing for the season. And uh, it was just kind of hearing what dates would change and moving some dates around as far as um, different things that we had to release and uh, obviously schedules and things like that. So uh, as far as the futures league itself and kind of working with the, the league and the NAVs, not a lot of that changed aside from obviously the, the dates in the calendar and uh, kind of changing the schedule of the season. Yeah. Can you talk about that for a sec? How big of a part did you have in kind of the preparation for the season and the making of the schedule for the futures league among the many other things, including the press releases, et cetera. Yeah. So as far as the schedule, I didn't have anything to do with the the schedule. I know Dave Peterson from, from Worcester is kind of the, the main uh, point in contact uh, in charge of that. But as far as everything with the, the NAVs, yeah, it's, it was a kind of a crazy off season as far as working on some of the different stuff for them, just preparing um, the, the roster and kind of the materials that we use in the, in the press box. There's something like 20 players that were on the original roster who uh, kind of weren't able to come just because of the post family restrictions and kind of different things like that, that COVID uh, placed on us. But, but really, I guess that would, that would be the biggest thing that, that changed as far as that is just kind of a lot of different players that, that came through that, I know we were talking about with Sal and, and with Cody and guys like that who were supposed to go to the Cape League and uh, some others in the NECBL. So I guess that would be the biggest change uh, from, from this offseason and just uh, some of the things that I had to work with is just kind of seeing the, seeing the, the roster grow and, and grow and just uh, kind of the changes that needed to be made because of everything that went on. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, you can't deny the amount of local talent in this league. So it's great that those guys got to come back. Before we get back to our interview with Josh Cummins, we wanted to share a message from one of our sponsors, ChangeUp. We're excited to announce a brand new partnership this season with ChangeUp, a cutting edge player-centric pitch tracking solution promoting health and safety, allowing coaches to capture and analyze a proprietary set of performance analytics and helping pitchers maximize their potentials. Coming to baseball programs around the world this year, ChangeUp eliminates the administrative overhead associated with adhering to pitch count regulations, allowing coaches to focus on baseball. Coaches and parents at all levels, Little League, AAU, high school, and the collegiate level take notice. Changeup is the clear choice to ensure your pitchers aren't being thrown too much or too often and are getting proper rest. Together, we can make this great game even better by protecting arms and ensuring compliance with pitching guidelines. For more information, visit Changeup's website, www.changeup.io. That's www.change-up.io. Changeup. Every pitch counts. We now return to our interview with Josh Cummins. So transitioning off of baseball to your, the other part of your job, which is hockey, 
you also work for the New England Hockey Journal. What's it been like to do that? I know you cover the Bruins and the Hockey East. So what's it been like to cover both of those? And what drew you into the game? Yeah, so uh, it's been a lot of fun, obviously. It's such a big thing in this area that as far as college sports, it's probably the biggest thing around here that kind of fans get used to. Obviously, it's the the Bruins. And then it seems like anyone who grew up playing hockey has a kind of a college team that, that they root for. So it's been really special for me to kind of get to do that as well, because it was another sporting event that, that I went to a lot as a kid and kind of getting to see some of the, the best guys from New England who have ever played hockey has been been a lot of fun so yeah it's just another something that that I look forward to going to as a kid and it's been fun to again make that transition to a, a different role with the with the sport yeah I know between me and Matt there's a lot of a lot of divide between the hockey sector right. but yeah it's always fun rooting for the for college hockey and and from college hockey to the Bruins what was it like being part of that Stanley Cup run last year despite it ending the way it did it was insane um there were it was just the the number of people there and Getting to do that, um, I don't know, I mean, for, for the Bruins, I've been doing colleges longer than kind of the Bruins on a more regular basis. So uh, just to kind of have that experience as, as early as I did was, was really special. And, and just kind of the, the amount of people, there was a, a kind of a media day just w- with people from all over the world there before it started. And uh, just kind of seeing how, it, and it was at the Garden because the, the first and second games of the of the series were there. So it was, it was insane just to see the number of people from all these different countries and, and the cameras from TV stations and outlets that probably people have never heard of before, just because they're bigger outlets from other places in the, in the country that, that obviously weren't Boston or, or St. Louis. So it was just, uh, it, it was crazy to, to be there and to walk out there at the end and, and see what happened. And uh, it was just a, it was a, it was a wild thing to be a part of for, someone like myself who hasn't been doing this for for a really long time at at that level. So take us through when the buzzer went off at the end of game seven, what was kind of the process that you went through as a reporter and did you end up getting down to the ice? Yeah. So the way that it works is uh, obviously the, the night that the, the team clinches is different than, than all the others. And and especially at the garden where there's the the space is kind of cramped to begin with. Um, so the way that it works is that the Bruins do their kind of normal, uh, normal post game in their locker room, uh, which is kind of where it falls, uh, usually, and nothing was really different about that, but the, but the winning team does it on the ice and everyone just goes kind of goes in a free for all <laughs> out on the ice to, to find guys as they're hoisting the cup. So I kind of got to do both. Obviously the Bruins locker room was kind of quiet after that and, uh, still a lot of good stuff to come out of it, and but pretty understandably, it was it was pretty quiet in there, and it didn't take as long as it does on maybe even a normal uh, game night. But there were still guys that came in and talked. But yeah, on the ice was was pretty wild, and there were still some fans in the stands, even though it wasn't as many as if the Bruins were to win. But but there were a lot of people out there, and yeah, that's just kind of how it works at at those games, and especially at the end where there's a team winning. That's kind of how it goes. Was there one interview that you did that particularly stuck out to you? I guess the one that would stand out to me uh, from the winning side anyways would be uh, Zach Sanford who went to BC and uh, was on the blues just because that was the kind of the one guy on St. Louis that, that we kind of had a connection to. And, and obviously he was a, he was a kid that uh, you know when we talk about college hockey before one of those guys who, who I saw in college and kind of got to uh, see him go up to that level. So it was really, uh, that was a really cool one, but I know um, 
quite a few of the players did come through the locker room for the Bruins. And I remember Charlie Coyle was in there for, for quite a long time. He was probably the longest person to talk on that night. So uh, it was a lot of fun to kind of have that experience from, from both sides. But, but as far as Sanford, because he's, uh, I talked to him for a couple of minutes, literally as he was skating for his turn before skating for his turn to, uh, to get the cup and take some pictures with it, which was really cool. So Owen and I are Boston sports fans. I've never had the experience of seeing a Bruins playoff game at the garden. Everyone always talks about that being really the pinnacle of an atmosphere for a Boston sporting event, especially quite literally the biggest stage in hockey game seven of the Stanley cup finals. Just talk about the buzz that was in the arena that night and any kind of goosebumps or any kind of just emotion that overcame you seeing just that crazed of a fan base for one game for Lord Stanley. Yeah, it, it, it was definitely there. Um, obviously, it, it was there a little bit at the beginning, but uh, kind of to hear, like you said, the, the buzz as that game was about to start, and, and you knew that 60 minutes or, or however long later it, it was going to be, someone was going to win it, and, and you didn't know who. It kind of turned into knowing who pretty quickly, but unfortunately. But, but yeah, it was, uh, it was really fun and um, something that, that a lot of people don't ever get to do, and really cool that so many people were there get to be a part of it. And then I was there get to be a part of it. Another championship trophy you saw lifted at TD garden. You were there for the 2015 frozen four. That was earlier in your career, probably not as much experience under your belt. I think that's fair to say, but it was between BU who was going for their sixth national championship and another new England school Providence who ended up winning their first natty. What was that atmosphere? Like I hear that the frozen four is another atmosphere where college hockey fans who just love the game will travel from wherever, year to year, and also just to have that New England presence in that Frozen Four in that championship game and the way it ended, you know, real shame for BU that they lost on that Matt O'Connor drop. But what was that like? Yeah, to be honest with you, that was you, – you mentioned goosebumps. That was probably the first time for me that, that I felt that. That was my first Frozen Four as well, and um, it, it, it was something really special just to – for two teams, for first of all, to be in Boston, and second of all, for – for two teams that I see quite a bit during the season to be there for, for the ultimate one. And yeah, that was another one that you get to go on the ice a little bit afterwards. Obviously the, the college uh, rules and stuff are a little bit different as far as the interviews work. That's kind of done in a, in a room inside, but, but yeah, I get to go out there and uh, it was really fun to just be a part of that. My first one to be in Boston and for two New England teams to, to be there in the end was really special. And I would say that uh, kind of talking about those goosebumps that we were talking about with the, with the cup last year, that was probably the first time that I felt that just because of the circumstance and how many fans of both teams were in the building at that night because it was uh, obviously so close to both schools and something that was really special. Now, Josh, I have seen you at Boston College at Conti Forum covering the Eagles quite a bit. Owen has had the pleasure of following his UMass Minutemen to a Frozen Four in 2019. I have had to sit through three consecutive years of no postseason play. Please tell me you thought BC was legitimately in a great position to win the national championship this year. hundred percent. I, I'm talking to, uh, to, to Jerry York afterwards, obviously, who's someone who is such a special guy and has kind of done it all. And as far as coaching hockey, he, it, it was something that he had never, that, that no one's ever experienced before just what happened afterwards. And to, to kind of hear him talk about the, the confidence that he had in the team, kind of the same thing that you were asking about. And he really felt that as well. And uh, for him, obviously, he's something, someone who's experienced 
literally everything there is to experience and for him to talk about uh, just kind of this circumstance, just like he's not someone who talks about things like everyone else does just because of how, how much experience that he has, but to kind of hear him uh, just kind of cope with this, like everyone else has been, it was really interesting to me just because it's something that, that no one's ever experienced before. And uh, he was really excited about the team going into it. And, and you could just hear in his voice, kind of the, the emotion that, that took him that they wouldn't get to uh, finish out the season in the way that really every other team's been able to. So yeah, I thought, and, and he thought, that, that there was a lot there, and I was expecting them to, to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament myself. Yeah, and just quickly to follow up on that, especially with the Beanpot loss and double overtime to BU, they hadn't lifted a trophy, and it felt like after that they had all the right pieces and chip on their shoulder to go deep in the postseason, but I guess we'll never know. Yeah, it, it, I, they, were, they were right there at the end, and, and they were, like you said, really uh, kind of motivated by that and uh, played really well down in the end, and uh, it's a shame that they didn't get to, uh, didn't get to finish it. I mean, you would have had to go through UMass hockey first. So let's just uh, put that out there. All right. All right. The chips have been thrown on the table. I like it. Sticking up for your boys. Had to. Um, Josh, transitioning into your, more of your background, you studied communications at LaSalle University in Newton. What was your experience like at school? And did you have any involvement with covering LaSalle sports while you were there? I did. Um, yeah, my, my, so kind of throughout my time there, I was doing uh, the stuff with the baseball journal. So I would be, and, and the NAVs. Yeah. So there um, kind of my big role is my last year. So I, I was doing the, doing the stuff outside over the course of my career, but my last year I was a, an assistant in the sports information department, getting to uh, cover some of the different, uh, different sports there. So that was kind of the, the main thing on campus I did, but, but it was great. It's a, I kind of, I toured all of the, the big schools in Boston kind of going into myself, but as it went on, it kind of felt like I wanted to be in a smaller place that uh, was kind of close. I, I'm someone who's uh, really likes being around here and I didn't want to move far, but, but I felt kind of going through um, just the different college tours and things that, that it kind of felt like a smaller place like that was going to be it for, for me. But I was fortunate that I got to kind of do some of the same things that, that I'm doing now as far as, uh, covering some of the different sports. So I got that kind of feel of the, the big schools with the hockey and things like that and uh, got my involvement on the, uh, the smaller camps as well. So I enjoyed that. So if we had a Josh Cummins bingo in the press box at Futures League Games, the D3 boys and anything involving celebrating D3 would probably be the number one answer on the card. Can you talk a little bit about your pride for D3 athletes and D3 schools overall? Yeah, um, honestly – I don't even know where that began. Uh, just kind of, I, I think that was more, uh, that kind of came before even going to a division three college, just because some of the most interesting people that I've had the, the chance to talk to are just people who, who came from that space as well. So uh, I think as it's gone on and I, and I went to one and, and kind of got to see how that worked at school, I think that kind of enhanced that, but that was something that came really even before, uh, before I went to school. But yes, that's definitely uh that would definitely be high on the, on the bingo card. Uh, I agree. And backtracking even a little bit further at Malden high school, uh, your school newspaper was very successful. You remember the head editorial staff and I read that you guys won the three main awards. I believe it was news sports and another category, which I'm blanking on. I'm sure you probably remember, but 
what was it like to be that heavily involved and also be that successful that early in your career? Like how did that prime what you did in college, especially with your coverage all over Boston? You mentioned you were also involved with a U18 group where you, you know, involved kids and got them excited about it and kind of stepped in as a mentor for them. And what was your favorite moment from doing all that? Yeah. So the, I guess I'll take the second part first, the, the Boston sports U18 website, that was, that was a really cool thing that I got to be a part of. That was just kind of something I found out by chance, just looking, I forget what I was looking at, but uh, just kind of did a Google search and found an article that had already existed about whatever I was, I think it was about the Red Sox or whatever. And I found, or, or one of the minor league teams or something like that. Um, but yeah, that came up on it. And I saw that kind of all of the people who were involved in it were, were similar age, of course. So yeah, I just sent them an email and they were really interested in having kind of some different people contribute because it, it was a new uh, kind of venture at the time. And they had some contacts in uh, the, the minor league teams around and, and, and at Boston College and some different places. So I was really fortunate to kind of get involved in, in both of those and really help them branch out into doing some different things. I think the, uh, at BC, the original people who were working on it were with football and, and basketball kind of covering those games. But uh, kind of when I came on, and obviously we were talking about hockey a lot, that was uh, kind of the area that I got to kind of start and, and be involved with originally. So so that really helped. And yeah, that was long in, in high school as well when uh, kind of got to work with, uh, like you mentioned, a lot of different people and, and kind of mentor them because I was one of the, the older ones when that started at the time. Um, so it was really fun to, to be able to do that. And, and like you said, with, with Malden, to be a part of a newspaper that's been around for, for over 100 years and kind of get to see what, what that was like what was really special. So yeah, that was, those are two big things in, in my career and I definitely wouldn't be here without kind of those two experiences. So you've been involved and interested in this industry for a long time. What journalist was your biggest inspiration growing up? And how long have you known that this is something you want to do for a living? Ooh, biggest one. Um, I, don't, I didn't really have one. I, I, I read a lot of different things, to be honest. The, obviously, the, the Globe was the newspaper that was kind of on, on our doorstep every day. So that was kind of the one, just kind of reading through, through that sports section. So kind of all of those names are certainly the, the people that come to mind for me. And it was something that that I always felt like would kind of be a natural fit for for me to do with uh, just kind of being involved in, in sports growing up. I played a little bit, but certainly not for for long uh, for long enough to know that I wasn't going to be very good at it. So um, it was definitely uh, kind of a natural thing for for me to do. And kind of writing was always something that I was pretty good at in school. So it kind of felt like a natural fit to to kind of pursue that as going into college and, and a career. As well. You're young. You've got a lot of talent. And you've been working in this industry for a while, but ultimately, where do you see yourself in 10 years or so? And what is the, what is the dream job for Joshua Cummins? That's a good question. Um, I, I want to be involved in sports for as long as I can, obviously, uh, whether it's kind of working at a school or, or kind of in the, the journalism industry, that's definitely something that, that I want to keep on doing. Uh, like you said, it's been uh, kind of the thing that I pointed to for a long time. So I kind of want to uh, as long as I can to, to stay in sports in, in some way that I can, uh, whether it be kind of working with the team, uh, uh, college, or, or kind of in that journalism communications industry. Well, Josh, this has been awesome so far. Uh, we got one final segment for you. I know you're familiar with it. A lot of viewers at home who are tuning in are as well. It is called Quick Hits. It's presented by Zephyr, the official on-field hat of the Futures League. 
The Navs have new hats this year, three of them. You updated your avatar for the uh, Navs press box <laughs> updates. Looks pretty sweet. Uh, that Zephyr lid looks pretty nice on there. Zephyr, high quality and innovative design since 1993. So we got a couple questions for you for our audience to help to get to know you a little bit better. Is that cool with you? Sounds good. All right. So Josh, favorite player that you've gotten a chance to watch or cover in the league? And if you can't pick just one, maybe favorite player that you've gotten a chance to cover in all your years of sports writing? Yeah, I guess one person that comes to mind is, uh, is from BC. And I think I mentioned his name before is Chris Shaw, just someone who obviously played in this league at the beginning of, of the rule to uh, one of the first guys to be in high school and come into the league as an incoming freshman uh, and just kind of see the success that, that he's gone on to and uh, his relationship with Sal Freelich, who's on the Navs now, is pretty special as well. Um, so kind of get to following the, the careers of those guys, a couple guys that we talked about who've been in the, the major leagues is really cool from, from this league that's, that's only 10 years old. It's pretty cool to have two guys who've gone into the major leagues. As far as hockey, I know we talked about the, the, the Frozen Four in 2015 a little bit, and, and that was the Jack Eichel year at, at BU, which was really cool just because uh, kind of from day one, everyone kind of around knew that his time <laughs> at BU wasn't necessarily going to be very long. So to kind of have, have a kind of a front row seat to his one year of college hockey and to, to see him come into the, just the area, obviously he was a, a, a guy that uh, people knew for, for a long time was going to be something special and, and probably playing at BC or BU was going to be in the cards for him. So uh, he'd probably be the hockey player that stands out to me just because he's a, he's a local kid that everyone knew about and just kind of the, the way it ended with him winning the Hobie Baker Award and, uh, in a ceremony in Boston and, and playing for the national championship was, was really special to be a part of that. And, and to see him play for uh, the, that year, he also played for the World Junior Team and they had their camp in Boston too. So there were a lot of guys who came through that and that was a really special thing to be a part of. Uh, favorite team in the majors and follow up because I feel like we might know the answer to that favorite player could be current or historical. Yeah. So Red Sox, definitely favorite player. Um, I, I guess the, the favorite one growing up, uh, would be Nomar. He was kind of in the, right in the, the middle of, of his kind of tenure here and obviously being traded. I remember not being very happy that day, but he was probably the one for, for me. And I'm sure that's an answer, uh, that a lot of people, uh, my age would probably Favorite venue that you've gotten a chance to cover a game at? Yeah, I guess I would say the uh, the number one that comes to mind is is, is obviously Fenway. Um, that was pretty cool, and and I've covered both baseball and hockey there, which is which is pretty fun, and got to go on the ice at Fenway as well, which was was pretty cool. Um, so that would probably be the one for me to to go to Fenway Park. I'm sure that's probably a a pretty popular answer, but but that's the one that kind of jumps out to me, and just getting to to, to do that being from Boston was, was pretty special. On the flip side, what's one venue or event on your bucket list that ultimately when all is said and done, you would love to try to make it or cover it? So, so I guess baseball, I would say um, one of the things that stands out is the College World Series. Obviously, it's something, it, it's where a lot of the other NCAA sports championships kind of, travel around and go to different places. That's uh, a pretty unique one because it's always in, in Omaha. And that's something that, that obviously we've all watched over the course of time and, and seen guys who've played in the league of, who've been in it as well. So I think that's, uh, uh, that's a really fun one for me as far as for hockey. It's, it's such a unique 
sport as far as uh, I guess kind of keeping to to college for for this one. It's such a unique sport that there's only 60 uh, now 62 and 63 schools that that play it. Um, just kind of getting to see some of those different places would be be really cool. I know people talk about kind of the the Big Ten schools or Wisconsin and Minnesota as far as big rink they play in and North Dakota being a palace that's bigger than some NCAA, uh, NHL um, arenas. So I don't know, kind of seeing maybe some of those bigger schools in the Midwest where kind of that's the, the life of college sports is, is the hockey team rather than football and basketball would be pretty cool for someone who's kind of growing up around here where the, the college sports aren't maybe the, the biggest draw where there's so many and so much success with the pro teams. And I think that would be really fun for someone who uh, like me, who grew up kind of watching the, watching the sport of college. Now, this has been an awesome interview. Some more deep, quick hits. Now let's get into the fun ones. If you were a player in the game right now, what would your walk-up music be? Oh, um, I, I don't know about one song. I guess I, I'm not really one that has a super specific musical preference, but the genre that I guess is the kind of the, the ballpark is, is country. So I guess that would kind of, I don't know if I have one particular song, but that's kind of the, the general musical mood that makes me feel the best at the ballpark. I was never really a big country fan before kind of being involved in baseball, but that's kind of the, that's kind of the area that kind of feels right at baseball games for me. And then any superstitions that you have in the press box? Uh, no, not really. I keep a scorebook during the game and, and kind of using the same different colored pens to write each of the lineup in uh, would be about it. But that's more just for quick reference than superstition. Um, so that's probably the closest, closest that I have personally for that is just kind of keeping things in different colors so I can differentiate. It's funny you say that because the next question I was going to ask is pen or pencil. Uh, yeah, so that's um, that's kind of funny because you're kind of taught to keep score in in pencil, and I did when I was first learning. But but now I've found that no one else reads it, so if you make a mistake, you can just cross it out, and no one's going to care. Which I do pretty regularly, but I think the the pen looks better when I'm trying to look back and find something. So um, yeah, I would say pen. And a follow up to that, I was going to ask blue or black, but I'm pretty sure your pen does a little bit more than blue or black, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Um, blue, black, green, and red. So, yeah, I write each lineup in, in a different color, and, and kind of that's how I differentiate. Is that like one of those pens that you'd find at the Scholastic Book Fair that has the little, like, triggers on the end of it, or you're, yep. you're rolling with, like, a, okay, okay. Yep, I wasn't exactly. sure it was four the, different pens. It's like, no, it's like the, it's a regular, from the regular pen company, Bic, I think, and it's just, yeah, it has the, the things that you click, blue, black, red. Very nice. And then how about words per minute? What are you averaging? Because I know it's up there. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know about per minute, but it was, it was funny. I could never type the way that like your business class or, or whatever w would teach you. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of from, from experience, I've gotten pretty fast. And yeah, I guess uh, I don't really have a number, but I can type it out pretty quick. <laughs> Yeah, typing North Shore Navigators all over again would definitely get the repetition up. Yes, exactly. And then how about a, like a favorite weird baseball stat, something you kind of love that happens during games or something all time that you've experienced? Ooh. Um, 
Yeah, I, I guess the, the, the thing that jumps out to me is the fact that it's so unpredictable. Um, I don't know as far as one stat, um, kind of players joke with me that, I, that I'm full of crazy, obscure things that they'll never have any use for. Uh, but, but I think as far as the baseball in general, that's kind of the thing that, um, that stands out to me is that it's, that's unpredictable and, and you never know what's going to happen uh, over the course of the game. Yeah, like just this season, we've seen kind of obscure putouts that you wouldn't think before with kind of double plays and things like that. So there's just so much that you can see and it almost seems like every time you go to a game that there's something that that you don't expect you've never seen before. So one stat, I don't know, but, but I know that the kind of the running joke as far as the, uh, the, the Navis players, at least that I'm close to where kind of that's a topic that comes up and writing the recaps and things, finding different things is kind of a running joke that's uh, gone for me for, for several years, I would say. And speaking of stats, you carry a nice handy little binder around with you everywhere. You want to tell the fans a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I forget the which original player, but I know uh, Sal, who we mentioned, has termed uh, my blue binder with all of the team's records as the Bible. Yeah, so that's kind of it's where like all of last year's stats go. Anything that I kind of referenced during the during the season, but yeah, my um, my blue binder, the the Bible. I I, I don't think Sal was the original, but but he certainly uh, he certainly added to the title and made it the name that stuck over the course of at least the last two seasons that he's been involved. So yeah, that's, uh, that doesn't stay at home. It's always in the bag and ready to be whipped out at any time to look whatever one of those obscure stats is, uh, is next, I guess. That's yeah, that's fantastic. I see that thing around all the time and it's, it's always funny when the players run up to you and make you (laughs) get that thing out to check stats and kind of going a little bit deeper. Once again, what's the what's your favorite piece that you've ever written? I guess one of the things that stands out to me and keeping it in the league to start would be Worcester's first year winning, just being there. And I know a lot of the players that have come on have kind of uh, put that as the, the favorite ballpark because of the, the atmosphere. And that was, it, it was really cool to, to kind of see everyone come together and uh, kind of support that team as well as they have. And just to, to see they've always had so many guys who are from that local area and, and know players who've played for it over the course of, uh, of the history of the team so far. So that's been, uh, that's kind of the really fun one uh, that jumps out to me as far as the, the Futures League uh, memory right off the bat anyways. I know that we kind of touched on this already, but how about a favorite all-time memory? And if you could do one baseball and one hockey? Yeah, I guess to keep it, um, in the league again, I guess one of the things that stand out is uh, the Navigators no hitter in, in 2016. I guess as far as obscure stats and different things like that, that's probably the number one on the on anyone's list is to see one of those. And I don't think I'd ever seen one of those before, so that definitely stands out. And that scorebook is still in here somewhere. Yeah, so that's one that stands out to me. And yeah, I guess hockey would be the two memories that we've already talked about. Would be the Frozen Four in 2015 and the Stanley Cup this year was was really cool. Well, Josh, uh, we threw a couple curveballs at you for quick hits. I think you handled that tremendously. And this was one of, if not the most anticipated podcast <laughs> episodes of the series. 
So uh, we wanted to thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure as always. I'll be at Fraser Field tonight watching Worcester take on North Shore, but that's a couple days before this podcast releases on Monday. Uh, best of luck with everything. I know we'll be hearing from you soon, but once again, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, guys, for, for having me. I'm glad I got to do this and um, glad that so many people want to hear it. I didn't realize that, that, that I was going to be number one on a list that has included players of the year and pitchers of the year and all of that. I'm definitely not going to be one of those, but I, I appreciate you uh, squeezing me on the list. Well, I think they're in for quite a treat when they end up hearing this. Uh, this has been episode 16 of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. We have new episodes coming out every Monday and Thursday. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast. We're streaming on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everyone soon.